You want to hear a testimony? This is awesome. Carl lives in Rancho Brazos, right? They're in his house. The tornado's coming. They're in a closet. I set it up for you. What was happening? Um, we, sirens went off and um, we heard, we could just hear it all around us. And um, we got into the closet, told Christy, get the girls, get in the closet. I got on top of Christy and the girls and we felt the tornado right on top of us. Like the house was just breathing, like it was about to pop. And it was something we were just praying and praying and praying and telling God, put your angels around us, just protect us. Just get us through this. Let us walk out of this. The tornado touched down right behind us, lifted up for like two or three seconds, and dropped down right past us. I mean, our yard was destroyed and everything else, and all the little material things can be replaced, you know, but I'm able to walk out on my wife and kids. <laughs> what, what were you singing? What song were you all singing? Um, I got us an awesome God and and I was singing um, um, Marvin Sapp. I should have never, never, never would have made it. Hallelujah! It's good. That song will never be the same. Amen. God bless you. We have a guest speaker today, and when I met him, his heart stole my heart. He's got a word from heaven for us. We're going to hear him. Today, at this time, all the way from Tulsa, Oklahoma, Brother John Smithwick, and we show our appreciation. Praise God. Thank you, Pastor Allen. God bless you. Thank you. Well, it is a delight to be here with you in Granbury. Our prayers and faith have been with you as you've just gone through such a horrible uh, catastrophe. Praise God for his staying hand of protection and, and now provision as well. When I saw the pictures and the video footage, it just instantly hit me what a miracle it is that there weren't more lives lost. And that's the goodness of our Father God. Amen. Praise be to Him. And uh, the blessing of the Lord is here and going to help restore the community and the neighborhood that was destroyed. It's a privilege to be here with you during this time. Uh, God, we see Him moving all around planet Earth. Don't buy the lie of the devil that these are days of gloom and doom. These are the best days to be alive on the planet. The greatest moves of God are happening now in our generations. And it's only going to increase. It's the beginning. And we, with all our hearts, are going after that last great move that God wants on the planet. And we just, you know, I just believe uh, the words of Dr. T.L. Osborne who recently, one of the last great generals uh, in the generation before that just stepped over to glory. Um, I had the privilege of meeting him a time or two and training under his protege, Jerry O'Dell. He's a dear friend and mentor. He worked for Dr. Osborne 17 years. Dr. Osborne said this. He said, uh, when we go somewhere, he said, we don't just pray for the rain. He said, we take the rain. We make the rain. He said, when you read the Word of God, you find out that really... Uh, we are the rain makers. Hallelujah. His power in us. We don't have to pray years and years and years. Hallelujah. He put his Holy Spirit in us. He gave us his word. He gave us his authority to produce change in this earth realm, to bring into manifestation heaven in and on this earth. Because the world, humanity, the lost, needs heaven on their behalf. And bless God. We don't have to beg and plead. We just show up. And we are. We manifest heaven. And what a privilege it's been. We're going to show you a clip. The world we live in is full of hopelessness, despair, war, poverty, hunger, sickness, and death. 30 million people will die this year without ever hearing the gospel one time. 70,000 people die every day without ever knowing Jesus. Only 4% of all missionaries are working amongst unreached people. Despite Christ's command to evangelize the world, 67% of all humans from 30 AD to this present day have never heard the name of Jesus.
Praise the Lord. We want people to join in the greatest mission on the planet. That's our social media. Our Twitter account is John R. Smithwick. We want you to sign up, follow us, and then you can see also Instagram and Facebook there. Don't leave out the R, though, and John Smithwick, John, middle initial R, Smithwick, and we'll be tweeting to you on almost a daily basis. Uh, just to talk about some of the other things you just saw, you don't have to order through the website. Those uh, products are out at our product table today, season one of Global Ventures, 10 episodes, action-packed, along with uh, never-seen-before, behind-the-scenes footage uh, in the extras. And uh, the, the reason season one was so powerful, um, the pilot really captures the heart of what you're going to see in season one. And in that pilot, I'm in Haiti roughly a year after the great earthquake. And uh, I actually went toe-to-toe -to -toe with a voodoo witch doctor in a village. Now, to be frank, there was no contest. Uh, I don't tell this everywhere I go, but I actually went on the hunt for him. I wanted to, I wanted to have a showdown uh, and capture it on film to show people that God, our God is far greater than the powers of darkness. Amen. John G. Lake, that was his model in uh, Africa, South Africa. And as a result, uh, over 500 plus churches were birthed in just a brief amount of time. But he, yeah, his model was he'd train his ministers and he himself would go and he'd send them out to find the witch doctors and basically have a showdown and show villages that the power of our God is greater. Before I could even get down to the witch doctor in Haiti, the, a small group of people had already heard I was coming through and spread the word. And there were all these people waiting because they needed the miracles of heaven. Isn't that funny? Mr. Witch Doctor couldn't give them true miracles. In fact, when I asked him, I asked him point blank in his little urine-smelling hut thing. Uh, it was horrible and dirty and just filthy. I said, have you seen any miracles lately? And you'll see this in the show, episode one of uh, season one. He said, uh, yeah. And I said, wait, clarify. What, what do you call a miracle? He said, well, people come and they give a cloth and I'll do my incantations and that type of thing over the cloth. And they go running out of my hut, screaming with their arms flailing in the air. Well, that's not a miracle. That's an exorcism in reverse. That's getting the demons in and on him, on them. And, uh, and then they really need a miracle. They really need help and deliverance. And I said, wait a minute, but you haven't seen any blind eyes or crippled legs? And he said, no, I haven't. Well, what had happened, all that crowd that had gathered, there were the blind. There were those that were crippled. We saw a man blind in one eye and uh, laid hands on him. And a few minutes later, he had covered his good eye. And he was reading our crusade flyer perfectly by the power of God out of the, out of the blind eye because Jesus opened that eye and it was seen. The miracles continued to unfold and a little lady came and said, Come up, would you pray for my husband? He had a stroke a year and five months ago. And uh, he, he cannot get out of bed. He's paralyzed on his left side. And I said, how far away is it? She said, oh, only five minutes up this hillside. Well, about 30 minutes later, huffing and puffing, we made it to the top. And I coached one of my interns. I believe God wants to use this next generation. I love the name of your church. I believe we've got to have all generations at the helm. And if you want to come out on one of our trips, they're not just youth trips. We have as many adults come out on trips as well as youth. We need everybody on the front lines. We need everybody doing the work of the harvest because it is a great harvest. It is a great commission. We've had them in their 70s. We had one couple come in their 70s, and we've had them as young as seven. My youngest son was about seven when we, he took his first Global Ventures trip to Nicaragua. You can watch that season two at globalventures.tv. It's awesome seeing miracles flow through little kids' hands because he's the same Jesus. Amen? So uh, up on, amen. Praise God, up on that mountainside, that hillside in Haiti, I coached one of my interns. He had never seen a miracle like that. First, we led the man to the Lord, and then we began to check his leg. He could not even move his left leg laying in bed, couldn't even move that leg. And the power of God is we sat him up. We prayed for him. I coached his name's Jordan, coached Jordan and ministering to him. I said, now let's sit him up. If we're saying miracles are going to happen, let's ask, act like it. And all of a sudden, his muscle began to that muscle began to twitch in his quadricep and all of a sudden that leg began to gently move i said let's not stop here let's get him out of bed i got grabbed underneath one arm jordan under the other we began to walk with him at first his leg was not really moving but then he started bending at the knee and over a period of minutes we watched the miracle unfold he went from uh, the inability to move that leg at all in bed to taking steps we had let go and he was taking his first steps ever totally unaided uh, for the first steps in a year and five months. Glory be to God. 
Hallelujah. So when we saw Mr. Witch Doctor, he went into a demonic trance, and all this is on that first episode, ran out, grabbed hot embers off his fire, and began to eat hot embers under demon power. Young people, demon power is real, but I'm here to tell you, the power of our God is more real and it's greater. Amen. We serve an awesome God, a great God, a God, hallelujah, who His power is in, in, uncontainable, unstoppable, and uh, irresistible. Amen. When it talks about in John that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness comprehends it not. Hallelujah. That is describing that it's unstoppable. It is a juggernaut force, an unstoppable force. And that's the force that, hallelujah, if we're in Jesus, he's in us and his Holy Ghost is in us. That's the force that we walk around carrying on planet earth today. And the earth, the world needs us to unleash that force. And so I was, as I was there, I told the witch doctor, I told him that. I said, all right, you've eaten coals, you've done your little tricks, uh, but now let me introduce the greatest power. And I said, you are operating in power, but let me introduce the greatest power of all. His name's Jesus. I shared the gospel. The witch doctor did not want to give up his enterprise. It was his position of prestige. The people were afraid of him. You know, the devil's an intimidator. He's a bully. Once he couldn't do anything to us, it's, he couldn't do anything. He started running towards the people. It was interesting. He was running towards women and children mainly. Wasn't running towards men. Because the devil's an intimidator. He plays dirty. He's a dirty dog. This guy started running back into his hut and changing his clothes. Chameleon, trying to see if something else would work. Nothing would work because the power that we had in us was greater than the power. My boss defeated his boss 2,000 years ago through the death, burial, and resurrection. Hallelujah. And I'm operating in my boss's authority. <laughs> and so right there on the spot, though he did not want to receive and yield, all the villagers that had gathered for the showdown at OK Corral, all the villagers, including his own mother and father, right outside his little voodoo shack, bowed, renounced voodoo, and called on the name of Jesus as Savior and Lord. Hallelujah. Because of the power, the authority that we possess in Christ Jesus. Amen. And then I went and cursed his enterprise. I don't believe we were to curse people, we were to bless people, but we could sure curse their enterprise. If their enterprise, I commanded it to wither and die and dry it from the roots. If Jesus could do it to a, uh, an unproducing fig tree, I can do it to an enterprise of the devil. And then he won't have any way to make money. And all the village is now born again. So he's going to have to turn to the living God. Hallelujah. Well, you'll see stuff like that in season one. Don't miss it. Go out and get it. And uh, use it as a tool. Use it as a witnessing tool. Uh, the books, get it on every business desk you can, every coffee table. Man, these are tools to win people to Jesus. If you have neighbors that aren't sure where they stand with God, or maybe they're not even sure if there is a God, you bring them over and you show them an episode. Pop in a DVD, Global Ventures, have them over for a meal. And boy, they'll see the power of God unfold. And uh, you can lead them to Jesus right there on the spot. Ten action-packed shows that will help you do that. In the name of the Lord Jesus, and you'll be blessed. Turn with me to John 4. It's exciting to serve Jesus, isn't it? Nothing like it on the planet. <laughs> I've had the privilege of preaching this gospel before the major world religions. I've preached among the Hindus. I've preached prolifically among the Buddhists and the Hindus both. I've preached even among Muslims. And uh, even among, and I don't mean this in the wrong way, but even among the beautiful Catholic people, there are many beautiful Catholic people that are born again, but there's many that aren't. And so I've had the privilege among the major world religions of preaching the gospel. And uh, there's no world religion that is greater than Jesus. Amen. There's no situation too difficult for the gospel when someone's... Daring enough to simply do what Jesus said, do, go into all the world and preach. Preach means boldly proclaim. We're not there to try to explain and defend. We're there to boldly say, this is the truth. Amen. Pastor alluded to uh, some episodes in season two. You can see right now, we were in Niger, Africa. That's north of northern Nigeria, where all the craziness is going on. Bombs going off, Christians being killed. I was with uh, one of our contacts. This was... Thanksgiving two years ago, um, two Thanksgivings ago, we were in Niger, and this contact ministers in northern Nigeria, he said over 3,000 roughly have been killed in the last two years, Christians. I said, how many bombs have gone off? He said, too many to count. God brought us supernaturally in and out of there without one harm done to a hair on our head. 
It was the hand of God. They did start slingshotting us. Uh, one of my, my staff was hit in the arm. It didn't hurt him. Global Ventures director was hit in the chest. didn't hurt her. My translator, he was a local there. Uh, it was interesting. He got shot right after I led to half the crowd in the prayer of salvation. This was a stronghold for Islam. They told us they had attempted a little outdoor praise and worship meeting. Only a handful of people showed up, and then it just fizzled out. And um, so we were making history. And the first night, the devil wanted to shut it down with radicals slingshotting rocks and throwing, I mean, all sorts of rocks. And I think they even tried to sling up a, a leg of a chair that they had ripped off. And um, at any moment, it felt like our stage would be overrun. I've never had a code word in any crusade that was an exit word. And I really was burdened going into this crusade. And I told my team, if you hear me say the word Elvis, you know, Elvis was fa Elvis left the building. It's because we need to leave the building. Now, it wasn't in a building. It was open air. Thank God I never had to say the name Elvis. I did say the name Jesus. And I'll finish that story here in a moment uh, because we weren't overrun. It was a beautiful, beautiful victory. In John, the fourth chapter, Jesus encounters the woman at the well. A beautiful encounter. His disciples have gone in to buy food and one of the towns of Samaria, this well was famous, the well of Jacob, their father, um, who had given it to Joseph. And uh, Jesus sat there and encountered this woman. And she, after he asked her for a drink, said, how come you being a Jew is asked of me, a Samaritan, you guys despise us. You know, Jesus didn't ever get caught up in racial disputes. Why? For God so loved the world, every race, every people group, every tongue. No, Jesus talked to the heart of the woman about the heart of the matter. He said, if you knew who was asking you, you'd ask of him and he'd give you a drink. And that water, after you drank it, you'd never thirst again. She was like, are you greater than our father who put this well here? Yeah, as a matter of fact, he was. <laughs> he said, the water I give you to drink, it'll spring up a well of everlasting life in your heart and your spirit. She was like, I want this water. How are you going to draw it? You don't have anything to draw. He is the source of the living water. Amen. He is the good shepherd. Praise the Lord. And then she wanted to get into a, a little bit of a controversial dispute on worship. Our people say we should worship in this mountain. Your people say it should be in the temple. And instantly Jesus brought truth to that argument. He said, woman, the time's coming where you're not going to be able to worship here or there. The destruction, Jesus knew, the destruction of the temple was coming in just a few years ahead because they were going to reject him as Messiah. He knew that there wasn't going to be the opportunity in that location or in the temple to worship. But he really addressed the heart of the matter. He said, it's not about location, it's about condition of the heart. Because those that will worship, those that are true worshipers, will worship in spirit and in truth. Hallelujah. And then she, he went on to talk to her about her own life by asking her a leading question. We need to become masters at asking people the right questions so that they reflect on their own life and how much they need the precious living water that we have through Jesus to offer them. He was led by the Holy Spirit. He said, go fetch your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. He, by a word of knowledge, read her mail and said, you've spoken the truth. You've had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. Now, I'm convinced. She said, oh, I perceive you're a prophet. Well, duh. <laughs> he was more than a prophet. He was and is and always shall be. Hallelujah. The Son of God, God, the God-man, the bridge between earth and heaven, humanity and deity. There is no other way. He is the only way. I'm very definite when I say that because there's a lot of confusion even in our great country of the United States of America. We're on talk shows. It's okay if you believe in some higher power. It's okay if you believe in this one or that one. Boy, but you bring up the name Jesus, all of a sudden, fangs and claws start coming out. Why? It's the spirit of Antichrist. Make no mistake about it. It's not a political agenda. It's a spirit. It's the spirit of Antichrist. And that spirit will not be satisfied until we are completely silenced. And it would like us to be driven off into the sea. Oh, but I'm not going to be beaten into a closet by the foul spirit of Antichrist. It's time for Christians in the United States of America to stand up tall and strong and be resolute in our faith. Stand tall and cast a long shadow and tell of the one true and living God and hallelujah, the Savior, whose only name is Jesus, the only name under heaven that men and women, boys and girls can be saved through and by Jesus. Amen.
Amen. And so we need to be bold in this day and hour. It's what our nation was founded on. A people that sought to come and found a, a new society that would be a light to the world, just like Israel under the old covenant was a light to the Gentile, the world through their covenant with God. That's the founding purpose of the people group that came and established this great land. And uh, the devil's trying to steal it away, but uh, he's not going to win. We've got the mightiest revival, the mightiest revival America has ever seen. I believe we're on the brink of it. I believe our feet are in the edge of the water. And it's going to make the days of old, the moves of um, uh, Jonathan Edwards and uh, the great revivals of old, it's going to make them look small in comparison. It really, really is. And I believe our generations are going to see it. They're going to be part of it. And so we've got to contend. Jesus, he get, reads her mail and says, the man you're with is not your husband. You've had five husbands. I'm convinced with all my heart we see the nature of Jesus here is not to say, look at you, you're a horrible sinner, but rather out of his love and compassion flowing with the Holy Spirit, doing the will of the Father, he is gently so carefully saying, I know the area of your brokenness. Because with this one word, I mean, this woman, she had some serious dysfunction going on. To have five husbands and then be living with a man now. And Jesus, by his gentle way, was saying, I know exactly what you've been through. I know that you're broken, you're hurting. Part of his assignment was what? To come and heal, mend the brokenhearted. And when he spoke this one word by the Holy Ghost, it was like he had opened the battered book of her life and thumbed through the tattered pages. Because with this one word, she with her own lips ran back into the cities of Samaria, towns of Samaria, and said, come meet a man that told me everything I ever did. Jesus didn't tell her everything she ever did. He only told her one thing supernaturally. But that one word was like he read the whole book of her life. That one word unlocked the, unlocked the chains around her heart so that she was open to receive his living water and believe on him as Messiah. And as a result, she became an instant evangelist. It says in the different translations, she left her bucket, her pitcher and she ran back into town why she had drunk of living water and she said come meet a man and they came and then jesus in that context was when he spoke to his disciples that i have meat to eat that you know not of they're thinking did someone slip him a piece of bread or a fish did we miss that he said no my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work do you know that was an abstract that was exactly what he had just done with this woman. He had just poured living water into her and transformed her heart, her life, her destiny forever. Do you know the will of the Father is for us to do the same? There is meat to eat that we must eat of. Jesus walked in perfect fellowship with the Father. He never had a down day. He never had a depressed day. He never had a day of poverty. Not until he went to the cross. He wasn't poor until he went to the cross. No, he walked in perfect divine health. He was divine life. And yet Jesus said here in John, I have to eat of this meat, this sustenance. I have to be nourished. I have to eat of this meat and finish his work. Do you know if Jesus had to eat of that meat, how much more do we have to? Do you know a call that many, many believers miss? They live most of their lives. And never tap into the fullness of this call. At best, they're active in this call at the beginning of their salvation, at their new birth. Because they want to tell everybody of what, about what God, what Jesus has done for them. And it's hard to shut up a new believer like that. They're best at this call at the infancy stage of their walk with God. But somewhere along the maturing stages of their life, they lose that passion and that fire that they had to share with others about what Christ has done with them and then usher them in to the living, drinking the living water and being born again. And my friends, it is the call to all. Jesus, when he stood on the Mount of Olives and said, go preach the gospel to every creature, it wasn't, no, this is only reserved for the office of evangelist. He didn't say that. He didn't say, Peter, James, John, my three powerhouses, the, the, other, the other nine... You can pray, you can do this, you can fast. 
No, he told everybody, over 500 on that mountain, go into all the world and proclaim the good news to every creature. Isn't it something? We had fall off from the Mount of Olives to the upper room. There's over 500 and then only 120. There's always going to be camps and groups that don't do the bidding of the master. But bless God, if we want God's best, if we want to eat ambrosia, the meat of God, if we want to please the Father in heaven, if we want to have eternal fruit that remains to the end and treasures that will last for eternity, we'll take part in this great mission. Jesus makes a famous statement here right after he says, I have meat to eat that you know not of. John 4, verse 34, Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Verse 35, Say not you, there are four months, and then comes harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. One translation says lift up your eyes. Another translation says open your eyes. And the reason Jesus said this is historically there was one main thoroughfare that came out from the towns of Samaria to this well of Jacob. One main thoroughfare. The disciples had passed this woman. The time of day was right in the middle of the day, which historically in their times when you would go to the well is early in the morning. And at the end of the day, you go early in the morning to draw water to last the family, last the animals through the full work day. And then you'd go at the end of the day to make sure you had enough water to carry your livestock and the family and the household through the night. It was very uncommon for someone to come out to this well in the middle of the day. And the reason Jesus said, lift up your eyes is because he knew all 12 disciples had walked this main thoroughfare and passed this precious woman by, this beautiful soul that was weighing in the balance. That's why he said, open your eyes. They were so about life's business that they weren't about the business of giving out life. Do you know we can be right in the height of even ministry and miss what ministry is all about? Ministry is all about knowing Him and making Him known. Ministry is all about touching people with the eternal, touching people with the power of deity, Jesus. So he, in essence, was not just encouraging, he was rebuking them. Open your eyes, lift up your eyes. Don't say four months and then's harvest. Harvest is now. It's all around us. It's what we were made for, born for. It's our assignment on planet Earth. Well, John, I'm not an evangelist like you. I'm not a pastor like Pastor Allen. I understand harvest is something that you guys should be about. You're fivefold. No, God has given us all the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 18, 19 talks about after any man or woman's in Christ, we're a new creation. And then it talks about the ministry of reconciliation that we're given. And we're not just given the ministry of reconciliation. We're given the message of reconciliation. That's for every single believer because the world needs to know that they're reconciled under the living God of the universe. When we stood on that platform in Niger, Africa, the vast majority, we're talking of a, a nation that's probably, I don't know what they say on the books, they say a conservative amount because they don't want the whole world to know in most of their cities and towns that it's something like 98, 99, 99 point whatever percent. Muslim. So we're talking about people that have never heard the gospel one single time. And if there's one thing that Muslims, radical Muslims hate, more than saying God has a son, Muslims hate to say that God has a son. His name's Jesus. They don't believe Allah has any son. Allah is very distant and austere. The thing they hate more than saying Allah has a son or God has a son, His name's Jesus is what I did right after I prayed the prayer of salvation with uh, probably a couple of thousand people out on that field the first night. I turned right back around and said, all of you that prayed that prayer and believed in your heart, Jesus Lord, you're now all children of God. Right when I said that, the interpreter interpreted, and that's when the rock was slung probably upwards of 100 miles an hour 
I saw it flying up out of the crowd, caught him right between the eyes. He stumbled, blood all over his hands, all over the stage. Thankfully, someone else knew the house of language and tongue and jumped up and we didn't miss a beat. I knew I had to have miracle signs and wonders or that crusade would have been shut down right then. At any moment, it felt like the crowd was going to just overrun our stage. But I said, there's going to be miracles here. We quickly prayed the prayer of miracles and healings, and miracles began to happen all over that crowd. It was beautiful. Those radicals went from stoning and slingshotting us to by the second night, because of the miracles, they were hanging on every word, waiting to see, and I mean explosively erupting in applause, because there were miracles like this. They're tall, Fulani tribesmen and the Toreg tribesmen with their turbans, tall, strong, elegant, had to look like what the wise men looked like. They were the ones that were being healed. I'm talking core, bad-to-the-bone Muslims, man. And one of them, yeah, yeah, praise God. One of them yelled out right down here in the house of tongue. My interpreter said, he's yelling right now, Jesus, I have been blind for four years. Jesus has now opened my eyes. I will follow him forever. One after another after another. I mean, it was awesome. A very patriarchal, male-driven society. These religions of the world, not just Islam, these religions of the world, they are, they are very uh, sexist. Even Buddhism, if I had time to tell you, because I've done a lot of work through the Thailand Harvest Plan that we started and planted 10 churches, a lot of work there. It's not peace-loving, all-embracing. Listen, in Thailand, the way Buddhism is practiced, if you're a woman, you're second-rate automatically. You don't even have a shot at nirvana. The only chance you may have is maybe you'll come back as a man and then you'll have a shot at nirvana. That's what they believe. I've asked them. I've asked the head monks about it. They beat around the bush till I time down, then they tell the truth. Yes, if you're a woman, hopefully you will have a male child, a baby boy born to you, and he'll go to temple and serve as a Buddhist monk and earn merit for you. And then maybe if he earned enough merit and you were good enough, maybe you'll reincarnate and come back as a man. No wonder they sell their own little girls into sex slavery. When you got that much of a jacked up belief system, are you listening to me? Don't believe the stars that go over there and meditate. No, it's peaceful. No, it's devilish. The religions of the world are devilish because they were inspired by the devil. They were. To keep man, woman, and boy and girl locked away from the living God of the universe. And three billion have never heard the gospel. Over three billion have never heard the simple gospel one time. Oh, what a mandate we have. What a mission we have. What a great purpose. Oh, if you're having a down day, if you're having an identity crisis, just start looking at the statistics. Look at what a great mission God has put you on planet earth to be a part of. Amen. You were called here and placed here to take up space. You were called to make a difference. Amen. We need to, amen, we need to be like John G. Lake and get dressed up in our finest suit and go look ourselves in the mirror, finest outfit. Maybe it's not a suit in our day and age. But get your finest outfit, get dressed up, go look in the mirror. This is what he'd do. He pointed himself in the mirror and say, God has come to live in that man. He believed it. You need to look yourself in the eye and say, God lives in that man. God lives in that woman. I'm going to live like God on this earth. I'm going to demonstrate the works of God on this earth. Hallelujah. Well, there was one man in that crusade in Niger and his son that was over 30 years of age. And he said he was born a deaf mute. But Jesus, last night in the crusade, opened his ears. He heard for the very first time. And now listen to him. My son is now speaking his very first intelligible words. He said, my entire family, my son's family, we all, they were shepherds, herdsmen. We all now will dedicate our family to the Lord. We will follow Him. Praise God. I mean, it was electric. The imams, the Muslim clerics, imams, Muslim priests got on the radio. Allah does not heal. Whatever you have is your fate. Accept it. <clears throat> Too late. Well, they're right. Allah doesn't heal. But Jesus does. They were afraid they were going to lose the people because they were. They saw the real God that loves them and has a plan for their life that's good. Oh, God's plan is awesome. When we take part in the Great Commission, we're taking part in the greatest single mission work on planet Earth. 
doing good acts and good deeds are wonderful. Doing humanitarian aid is nice. But the only thing that will have eternal repercussions and reward, the only thing that will cause human souls to be there on the other side with us is fulfilling the Great Commission. And it's why each and every single one of us are called to it. Don't say four months and then comes harvest. Now is the hour to know what God is doing on planet Earth. You know, the book of Haggai talks about the glory of the latter house will be greater than that of the former. That's a prophetic passage talking about the day and the hour we're living. Yes, there was going to be the rebuilding of the temple, the house of God in in the Old Testament times. Um, But it was prophetic about the church of the living God because we are living stones that make up the temple of God on planet earth today. And hallelujah, it talks about the glory of the latter house being greater than the former. The early church saw some real action. How many know? If your shadow touching people instantly caused them to rise up and walk and be healed. If you had to send handkerchiefs and aprons out because... The demand for miracle signs and wonders and being delivered from demon power was so great that you couldn't get to them. You had to send out claws from yourself and miracles happened. That's a manifestation of heaven. That's a move of God from heaven. But the prophetic passage says the glory of the latter house will be greater than that of the former. Do you know the days and hours that we're living in is the greatest day to be alive on planet Earth? It wasn't the days of Wigglesworth. It wasn't the day of Catherine Kuhlman. It wasn't the day of Brother Seymour. Praise God, they saw tremendous things. But they, their lives, hallelujah, should be springboards for the day and the hour and the generations that we are a part of here on planet Earth today. Amen. I don't wish I could go back and see their miracles. I believe they're leaning over the banister of heaven. Wigglesworth talking to Lake and saying, come up here, Miss Catherine. Look down there. Don't you wish we could be on planet Earth today? Don't you wish we could be part of that generation that's seeing the outpouring of God that's unprecedented? Amen. Hallelujah. I believe it's going to be commonplace that we see the dead raised, not just one or two people in a ministry overseas. I believe it's going to be commonplace. Do you know the first time I saw someone die and come back from the dead? I was an ORU student. Or Roberts University, I was an RA, and a guy on my wing had thrown his back out, ambulance had taken him to the hospital. I believe the chaplain rode with him in the ambulance or behind the ambulance. I met him there. We were behind the curtain there in the ER. And as I walked in to greet him, I noticed a very aged lady on the other side of the curtain with all sorts of tubes and wires hooked up going into her and on her. And as I was talking to my, my guy and the chaplain, just seeing how he's doing, trying to minister to him, All of a sudden, we heard her heart monitor flatline. We heard her groan and sigh, and we heard her exhale the breath of life. Flatline. We heard the doctors and nurses scurrying around her, trying to resuscitate her. Nothing was working. Well, nothing's working. What's left to do? Pray. (laughs) We stretched forth. I stretched forth my hand and said a simple prayer and commanded life to come back into her. Nothing had worked. The moment I said in Jesus' name, amen, her heartbeat instantly returned. Life came back into her. We're going to see these miracle signs and wonders. And you don't have to go to the far corners of the earth. You don't have to go to China or Africa or the Amazon of Peru or whatever area. Now I believe everyone ought to go once. Amen. It's real quiet. Everybody ought to go once. I was up at my... My in-laws church in Quebec, Canada, among the French. And I was preaching there. A German man that married a French gal from Quebec, he's a real active part of their congregation. They've been blessed because of the blessing of the Lord and applying God's word and principles and living for him. Own multiple properties. They do vacations every year. Uh, I think they had just come back from laying on the beaches. They had gone to Cuba and laid on the beaches there in a vacation spot. Not my idea of a vacation place, Cuba. Anyway... And they had done a a tour down in Panama, going through the jungle region. And um, I said, Brother, you need to come with me overseas. He said, Oh, no. He got real spiritual. Oh, Brother John, I need to pray about that. I said, No, you don't. You just need to obey the Word. Jesus already said, Go. The late Keith Green, I like what he said. He said, You don't need to pray about something Jesus already said do. You need just to prepare to go. Keith Green said, You need to prepare to go and only stay if the Holy Spirit says stay. Because Jesus already said go. 
It's funny, we get real spiritual. We'll fly across all across the country, state lines, uh, fly in an airplane, pay huge amounts of money to go to this thing where people run a pigskin up and down a field called the Super Bowl. We'll go to the great lengths to get a seat in the Super Bowl. But boy, when it comes to, hey, you want to go to do a mission trip? Oh, we need to pray. No, we need to just go. I believe every believer, especially in America, needs to go to the front lines, not just a mission trip, a harvest trip, where you're seeing miracles, signs, and wonders, and souls won to don't go on a humanitarian aid trip. Go where you're going to do what Jesus said do, and you're going to see the rape reaping of the precious fruit of the earth. Amen? Amen. Now, that's not that brother's predominant assignment. He's in his predominant assignment, but he finally came with me. And the trip he came on, it was beautiful on the Muslim island of the Philippines called Mindanao. We've done beautiful crusades there. And he saw one of our largest crusades ever. In the schools, we saw thousands of kids coming to Jesus. And in one week's time, we saw well over 90,000 come to Christ that week. He was forever changed. His name's Thomas. I said, yeah, don't be a doubting Thomas. No. Um, But after he came, he said, I see why you said come. Because what happens when you go to the far four corners of the earth in areas and regions of the world where they haven't heard, and you see them right at that point. The reason we named that book Desperation Speaks is because it says, the Scripture says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's desperate, a desperate state, a desperation. And we'll see people walk for days. We'll see them take what little they have to buy one bus ticket, all they can afford to travel hours to come to a crusade because they hear that miracles, that this God of the Christians is doing miracles. I'll never forget my first time in India with the Odells, Jerry and Marilyn Odell, years ago. I stood on a stage and I watched this man and his little girl. He came up on stage because Jesus had done what the Hindu gods couldn't do. See, he carried his little girl about, I think she was about, oh, somewhere between five and seven. See, she was blind in one eye and the other eye was failing. And he had carried her from Hindu temple to Hindu temple. And gods of stone and wood could not answer, could not help her. He had paid over 32,000 Indian rupees. That's huge, exorbitant for an Indian villager to no avail. But that night, he came because he heard the God of these white people from the West were telling about the one true and living God. And miracles were happening. And he came and he carried his daughter and without paying one single Indian rupee, without having to crawl on his hands and knees and beg, oh, they encountered the risen God of the universe. They encountered Jesus. And Jesus opened his little girl's eyes and she saw perfectly. They stood on the crusade stage with the ash markings and red dots of Hinduism on their head. But they left with the markings of Jesus on their heart because they made Jesus the Lord and master of their lives. Woo! Glory to God. When you see things like that, what happens is you come back to America and you're changed. You're a different cat. One young lady was in Bible school at Tulsa. There's a joke. If you can't make it to heaven, at least make it to Tulsa. We call it tulsa Jerusalem. <laughs> One young lady was at tulsa Jerusalem in her uh, first year of Bible school. And I said, you need to come out with us. She came out with us. She saw so many miracles in Peru. She came back. Her team leader, uh, a son in the faith that we've raised up, he's doing crusades now. Ironically, she and he now are married. But then they said, hey, they were just friends. Let's have a soul goal each week. Let's compete and see how many souls. He was out in Georgia, Atlanta. She was in Tulsa. Let's see who can outdo each other. She was about midway through the week, and she was like, oh, crud, I better get with it. Jamie's going to whip me this week in souls. She walked into a QT. Do you all have QTs down here? Convenience store? QT. She saw a man there kind of hobbling around. She went up to him and said, Sir, has anyone ever shared the love of Jesus? I don't believe any of that religious junk. I don't want to hear any of that. How many know people can be resistant in America? But she had done seen too much. She had done been wrecked in the right kind of way, man. She had seen the power of God flow through her in miracles, signs, and wonders. And she noticed this guy as he went over to get his Coke over there in the little uh, area where you get refreshments. He was walking back. He was limping. And his, he was holding his shoulder, put his Coke up on the counter to purchase it. Right after he purchased, she walked up and said, Sir, I noticed you were dragging your leg limping. 
And I noticed you grabbed your shoulder. I just came from a mission trip to Peru where I saw Jesus heal people. And I don't want to hear. I know you said you didn't believe. But I believe right now, if you'll just simply let me pray, Jesus will heal you right now. She just didn't wait for him to say no. She laid hands on right in front of the convenience store clerk, the line of people before God and everybody else, laid hands and commanded the power of God to heal that man. In that moment, she said, check yourself. Amen. He started moving his hip and leg around and shoulder. His eyes got big. He's like, the pain is gone. The pain is gone. She said, I told you Jesus would heal you. I told you it's real. Do you want to receive him now? He said, yeah, right there in front of everybody. He bowed with her and prayed the prayer of salvation. I believe that's what this generation of young people is all about. It's cool to look over here and see so many young people. Guys, you're the ones. For years, I led with another organization, team trips all over the world. And the thing I love about young people is you're just crazy and wild enough to believe miracles will happen right now. Because I'd have some young people that had just been saved at a Choir of the Fire Youth Convention. Some of them been just saved off of drugs. They didn't know up from down spiritually, but when I told them the same God that lived in the people of the Bible lives in you, and he'll do the same miracles. I'd tell them Smith Wigglesworth. Smith who? I'd have to tell them who Smith Wigglesworth was for them to understand. Crazy. They went out. In the backside of the Amazon, laid hands on a man that had a tumor hanging out of his side. Under their hands, the tumor melted. Talk about a group of fired-up young people. They went on the warpath looking for the next sick person. There was one individual on crutches, leg dangling because of polio. They pounced on him like a tiger on a gazelle. Man, they laid hands on him. One crutch fell one way, the other, the other way. That leg filled out. The man started bouncing up and down. Glory a Dios, glory a Dios, glory to God, glory to God. Healed by the power of Jesus through the hands of teenagers. Your generation is going to see some of the mightiest things. You're going to make history. You're called to be world shakers and history makers. And don't let anyone talk you out of it. Man, don't wait. Amen. Amen. Man, work the miracles of heaven in school. Work the miracles of heaven in your hood. Work the Man, Tulsa, Jerusalem. When I graduated ORU, I was working for a ministry, Impact Productions, and wound up going to Bible school, Rama. My mom and dad moved me into an apartment complex. They saw our upstairs neighbors. And uh, the man had just been released from the penitentiary. He walked out. He was living in with the woman upstairs and her 16-year-old son. He had a silver skeleton necklace, and he had a big old buoy knife strapped to his leg. We're in Texas. You guys know what a buoy knife is. Glory to God. You get up too far north. Boo what? Buoy knife, man. I mean, as wild, a wild-eyed coot. He came out and said, hey, you need any help with anything? And my mom kind of staggered in and said, John, have you seen your upstairs neighbors? I said, yes, ma'am. I said, we just need to pray for them, Mama. You know, moms care about their sons, their daughters too. I'd come back to my apartment. It wasn't the glory cloud. I wish I could say I'd prayed that much. It was the smoke cloud from them lighting up. There was about six inches at times of hovering smoke in my downstairs from their, the apartment there. And I'd just lift my hands, kind of shoo it, raise my hands up and start claiming their souls for Jesus. The greatest thing we can use our faith for is souls of human beings. The only difference in me and them, I didn't look down my nose, the only difference between me and them is the grace of God got to me before them. And I'm to be an extension of that grace. We should never look down on anyone that's lost. All they need is the love and the grace of God. Share them. That's our great mission. Christmas time, I got a plate of cookies. I mean, I'm just a few blocks away from, you know, the prayer tower. And, and here my upstairs neighbors, uh, he's right out of the penitentiary. And I go upstairs and they're there and I give them cookies. And he shows me all his Stephen King novels. I'm like, well, that's nice, that's nice. Why? The God in me is greater than the darkness in Him. God in me is greater. I don't have to be intimidated. You don't have to be intimidated. We just need to be real. Jesus was the most real dude that ever hit the planet, and yet the most powerful man that ever walked the earth. We don't need to be weird and flaky. We need to be real. I developed a relationship with Him. I'd seen miracles at a church meeting, and I prayed a crazy prayer. Lord God, anytime, place, anywhere. Most of the miracles in the book of Acts weren't in the synagogue. They were outside the synagogue. So use me anytime, place, anywhere. You know, if you pray a prayer like that, God will take you up on it. I walked out my front doorstep. There was Willie, the 16-year-old son. They, they had gotten married. 16-year-old son. He knew me because I developed relationship. I brought cookies at Christmas time. He knew I wasn't weird. 
And he asked, hey, what are you doing, John? He was there with his friend Kenyatta, an African-American young man. Willie was 16, Kenyatta was 18. And then a young Chinese man. Here, i got an international crowd right at my doorstep. This exchange student from China. Well, Willie, you asked, man, I just came from a meeting where, man, God was doing crazy miracles. I mean, blind eyes were being opened, crippled limbs, you know, were receiving life. He's kind of looking at me. I said, yeah, that's how we know Buddha's not God. Buddha's dead and in the grave, and so is Muhammad. But because Jesus is risen, we see these miracles today in his name. I'm just saying it just real nonchalant, matter of fact. I said, I'll prove it to you. Now, I didn't have a word of knowledge, but I'm stepping out. I said, I'll prove it to you. Any of you guys have pain in your body right now? Three guys. I'm going to just take a shot at it. They look at each other. See, sometimes we don't need a word of knowledge. We just need a knowledge of the word. The word says these signs follow them that believe. Done deal. John 14, 12, the works that I do, Jesus said, you'll do also in greater works because I go to the Father. Done deal. We don't have to wait for a gift to come in manifestation. That's why Wigglesworth could say, if the Spirit doesn't move me, I move the Spirit. Well, brother, you can't puppet God. He wasn't talking about puppeting God. God holds His Word above His own name. God said it. It's so. If God said that we'll have the same miracles He had and then some, Wigglesworth would step out in that and bless God. Even if you don't feel a cotton-picking thing, faith in the Word will always bring the power into manifestation. So I take a step out. I don't feel anything. If I'm going by my feelings, I need to respond to my own altar call. I'm dry as corn shucks. And I'm going to work. I don't feel a cotton-picking thing. But I say, any of you guys got pain in your body? They look around Kenyatta. I said, yeah, matter of fact, I messed my shoulder up two years ago in gymnastics. I said, watch this. I lay hands on his shoulder. I said, in the name of Jesus, I release his healing anointing. God's healing anointing right now. In the name of Jesus, shoulder, work, be made, be made whole, be well. Step back, I said, Kenyatta, move it around. Kenyatta started swinging his shoulder, his arm around like that. His eyes got big. He said, whoa, the pain is gone, it's gone. He took off right there. I'm here with three of us standing there, there, three, four. He took off in this grassy area between the apartments, did one of these acrobatic flip-flop things. I won't attempt it here lest I need to be raised up came running back and said, my pain is gone, my shoulder is well. He said, you can ask Willie. Ever since that injury in gymnastics, I've not been able to do gymnastics. I haven't been able to throw a football. I haven't been able to do anything. He said, the pain has gone, I'm well. I said, Kenyatta, God wants to do more than heal your body. He wants to save your soul. Are you right with him? He said, no. I said, you want to get right right now? He said, yeah. It's the goodness of God that brings men to repentance. The goodness of God. I said, hey, Willie, and the Chinese young man, I said, you guys want to pray too? I mean, this is a free gift. It's for everyone. Jesus loves you. Willie said, no, I can't do that. I said, why? He said, my family religion. I said, what's your family religion? He said, witchcraft. Oh, great. My upstairs neighbors, they don't just wear Bowie knives and ske silver skeleton necklaces, but they're up there doing, you know, white magic. He said, yeah, white magic, witchcraft. Sorry, right. the God of me is greater than the darkness in them. And they don't know they're ignorant. The ignorant do ignorant things. So I just reach out. You know, sometimes we need to not just ask for the opportunity. We just need to take it. I just reached out when he said that. I said, well, let me pray for you. And I laid my hands on, on Willie. I said, God, very simple prayer. Make your power real to my friend Willie in Jesus' name. Turn. He wasn't ready. I said, you know, it's cool. You're not ready. And before I prayed that prayer, I said, God's a gentleman. He won't force himself on anyone. But let me pray for you. And that's when I prayed that prayer. Turned back to Kenyatta. said, let's pray. Let him in the prayer of salvation. Oh, saw his eyes when he lifted up and looked at me. Saw the light of Christ. Him go from darkness, hallelujah, to eternal life.